Welcome to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. Teen Financial Freedom is a personal finance blog run by teens who are on a mission to equip their peers with the knowledge, resources, and understanding they need to become financially free for the rest of their lives. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. I am the main host today, me, Mr. Chase Gillette. I know we have Terry and Jacob on here a lot, but it's me sitting down today with an absolutely fantastic guest. This this interview has been quite literally like six months in the making. It was I intended to do this way sooner. We fell out of contact, but I'm psyched today to have Sarah Wilson, the Go Budget Girl, here on the show today to talk about everything finance, her personal story, give us some strategies. Honestly, I'm not quite sure where this show is going to go, which are some of the, my favorite shows because, you know, the best part of, of, about getting to any destination is the journey. There we go. Nailed it. Sarah, how are you doing today? <laughs> I am wonderful. And I am also glad we were able to make this happen, Chase. I'm excited to be here. And quite frankly, I wish I was more interested in this type of money stuff when I was still in high school. So I, I absolutely love this. I mean, honestly, yeah. Uh, I consider myself a little bit blessed that my personal interest lies in money because I know that when I talk financial markets and uh, real estate and whatever else it is to my friends, they often give me looks of disgust. <laughs> Especially when I talk to my friends who are girls, their usual response is, oh, don't worry, I'll just find a rich guy, marry him and have everything covered. It's, it's, actually, it's actually a really funny, perplexing thing that I've run into recently is that like every girl I talk to, their entire financial plan is based around getting a sugar daddy which I find to be the most brilliant plan ever. Like, how could that, how could that possibly go wrong? <laughs> okay. So send them to me. I'll, I'll them. make it happen. The channel is called budget girl for a reason. Called budget girl. We need to get these ladies into personal finance and never depending on a man. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Female independent. Woo! But I do want to know, because obviously listeners have not met you before, and I've done my own research, but I'd love to hear it from you, how Sarah Wilson went from whatever you were doing in high school yeah. yeah, to Go Budget Girl. Like, I want to know the backstory there, the come up story, as I described it before. Absolutely. So uh, pretty normal, actually, in, in high school, I, I took classes, I had no major aspirations. I thought I really liked reading. So I thought I might go into some sort of literary thing. I ended up becoming mm -hmm. a journalist, went through college, took out student loans. My parents weren't really in a position to help me. And so I just ran up student loans and, and some what? extra for, you know, Taco Bell runs and my uh, sorority fees and that kind of thing. <laughs> right. So uh, shortly after college, I was I uh, found a job in a local newspaper and then got laid off and then nice. found another job in a newspaper and then got laid off. Cause I don't nice. know if in this case journal, like newspapers not doing so hot and they, they weren't in 2010 either. I, that's um, a crazy idea. It's almost like the internet's killing paper things. Yeah. Not the most secure career path to like jump off in with $33,000 of student loan debt. Mm -hmm. So um, after that second layoff, I was just really not doing well. I was on unemployment. I had all this debt hanging over me. I didn't know how I was going to eat or live completely on my own financially. And I swore once I got a new job, I would figure this whole finances thing out. I ended right. up getting a job in middle of nowhere, Louisiana, ended up making a budget and I didn't know anyone there. So I started 
just talking about it on the internet on my YouTube channel, Budget Girl. And there weren't a lot of people doing that at that time. Graham Stephan wasn't around then. <laughs> so uh, people weren't really talking about money on the internet. I was one of like less than five. Mm -hmm. And I cataloged my journey out of that debt on $1,600 a month. I paid nice. off 10 grand the first year, 10 grand the second year. Um, and yet just after the third year, I'd paid off all 33 grand. I'd increased my income. I'd started, you know, several side hustles at that point. And I was doing a lot better financially. So I uh, now teach people, especially women, how to develop money mastery on their own. That is, okay, okay. So before we dive into anything else, paying off 10K in debt on $1,600 a month is crazy impressive. I just, yeah, I, I just whipped out my phone to uh, add to, to, to calculate this real quick, guys. That's nineteen hundred dollars, one nineteen thousand two hundred dollars in a year, which means that you were saving in excess of fifty percent of your income solely to pay off your debt, Still which is really impressive because that means that you were living on like eight hundred or less dollars a month. Yeah. For easily. a year. That's crazy. That's crazy. So first off, super impressive. Talk to me a little bit about what that was like, like actually having to be that strict with your budget. Yeah. Um, it was really tough because I'd never made a budget before. And uh, before I went to college, you know, parents, I, I lived in a house. Most things were paid for. I had side jobs, but it, I never really had to manage money myself. And I was never taught to manage money myself. Um, but at a certain point, you have to kind of teach yourself. Yep. So um, I was living in this <laughs> not great apartment. It was $400 a month. It was tiny with my dog, Rory. And I very quickly figured out that I needed to track my spending and teach myself how to meal plan and shop for the things that were the cheapest at that time and to not, and to actually like not eat out often right. at all. And uh, I picked up a bunch of side gigs, everything from selling fireworks to uh, training dogs. Uh, I did a little bit of horse trading. You know, I'd find things at yard sales and resell them. I uh, did, of course, the YouTube thing, which started making money after the first year. And I just picked up extra shifts, did some photography on the side. It was anything I could do to make money. I made that my hobby. So I did a lot of secret shopping and that was a twofold thing. So they'd uh, pay me like $12 to go to Cane's and uh, time how long it took for the chicken tenders to come out and for me to take a picture and to go check the restrooms. And then they'd reimburse my meal as well. So right. that seems like such a tiny little drop in the bucket. But, but when so. that's all you're doing on a weekly basis is really just trying to figure out new ways to make and save money. It adds up to $10,000 a year for me. So did you like have a social life? during this period i i made some friends in the area because i moved to louisiana i didn't know anyone when i started there right. i did make some friends and they were all friends that were cool with doing really cheap things we couldn't go out to like eat i invited Both them over, over to my house and we would have like a baked potato party so i'd have the baked potatoes and they'd bring like cheese and sour cream and stuff and we had a good time i swear we'd play games uh it probably sounds really really lame but we had a great time and it was super fun. You just have to figure out kind of where your people are. It doesn't sound lame at all to me. I would love to have a baked potato, baked potato party with my friends. It does not take much to keep us entertained. 
that I, it actually sounds like a really, really fun uh, time. You know, something that I've heard described a lot by many, many of the people that I follow in just in general is that most of the fun that they had came while they were on their journey to success. Like all of their greatest memories, like one of these guys I follow, he founded like a, he founded like a successful nutrition company. He said that some of his favorite memories was when he was working in his garage with like these protein bar machines that him and his friend had like slapped together. His favorite memory was like him and his buddy up till like 1am trying to make enough protein bars to give to their local grocery store so they could actually like have a proof of concept sales. And so I really think that something, something that a lot of people miss is they want to jump right to the point where they are successful. Like I, they, they don't want to do the zero to hundred K the hundred K to a million. They just want to have the million, which I think you miss a lot when yeah. you just jump to that. Like, can you speak a little bit to that? You know, what you gain from actually going on the journey itself to success rather than just trying to attain success itself. I think it's probably a little cliche to say, you know, it's all about the journey and learning. But a little bit. Honestly, when you're kind of working from zero up towards something, you do appreciate it a lot oh, more yeah. and you realize the work that's gone into it. I uh, now don't waste any food like ever. Yeah. Uh, it's like we figure out things to do with it. And I have just an encyclopedic knowledge of what things cost at the grocery store, which I didn't have before. And I, I often can tell people that budgeting and like getting good with money is like a muscle. You have to work it out. You can't just, if someone hands you, there's a whole lottery situation. People get handed a million dollars. It's gone in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you kind of work yourself up, you build the habits around being good with money, then you'll be able to manage $10. You'll be able to manage a million dollars. So it doesn't sound fun, but our brains are also really good about looking back on things and remembering the fun parts, about the lessons and the fun parts. And yeah, I wanted to go out and do fun stuff sometimes when I was living in Hammond, but I found other fun things to do and it was worth it on the other end, because now I can do really amazing things without any worry about all the interest that's gaining on my student loans or how I'm going to be able to fund my future. Yeah. So when, uh, what was the initial job that you were working to be making like $1,600 a month was I was a journalist. I was a reporter for the Hammond daily star. So you, and, that was your third was, journalism was, job. Yeah. Well, yeah, pretty much. And I, uh, it was like 24, uh, thousand a year pre-tax after tax, it came out to 1600 a month and that's my budget. And I still have my original budgets that I put on the internet. Cause people told me like, you're not going to be able to pay off 33 grand making, you know, 24 grand a year. And I was just like, watch me throw up my budget every month. And you could actually see, and you still can. I put, still post them like how much I spent on food this month, how much I spent on this, that, and that, and where all my money goes. Right. It, which I can't get over how impressive that is. So year one, 24 K yearly salary, which is not great. Year two, in addition to a bunch of side hustles and, you know, whatever you were doing on the side year two, did your job change or did you just have more side hustles? Like about halfway through, I got a, another job. This was in Mena, Arkansas, a town of about 5,000 people. And I was going to be the editor of the newspaper there. And it mm -hmm. was making like 29 grand a year. Oh, so, big um, monies. Kind of at the end of year two, I moved 
and during the during year three for the first end of year two first part of year three I was making a little bit more and cost of living was just a little bit more there but I was throwing everything at debt because there was nothing to do in this town right (laughs) all I was doing was like trying to side hustle beautiful mountains nothing else to do. So I, uh, yeah, made a little bit more through all of that at debt. Once again, paid off about 10 grand that year. And then, uh, right at the last couple of months of my journey, I got a job at Texas A&M university making like 46, which Ooh. was a huge jump. And yeah, and now I make even more there. And of course it was, at, since it was at the very end of my journey, I was able to take like my first month's paycheck, pay off the rest of my debt. And, uh, now I'm able to do whatever I want with all that extra money because I'm used to living off of less than $2,000 a month. Which is amazing. I think um, to, to your earlier statement that there's nothing to do in your town, one of my favorite quotes ever, can't even remember who said this, but he said, the, most pr- the best way to be consistently productive and effective on your goals is to just move, just leave. When you leave, you have no friends and you have nothing to do. So all there's left to do to keep you interested is work. And I was like, I mean, he's not, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> You're not going to have a good time. I don't um, know if he's necessarily I'll, right, but he's not wrong. Yeah. I'll admit I'd like living in, in Hammond, Louisiana. I was able to find friends my own age. I was able to do frugal things and mm-hmm. still have a really good time in Mena, Arkansas there was nothing to do. There were no people my own age. It's like a retirement town. I was miserable there. I'm going to be honest. I paid off a lot of debt. I was miserable and I moved as soon as I could. I think (laughs) there is a balance. And I mean, we're a lot of, a lot, (laughs) a lot of people go really hard. And I think I was one of them, but I do think that you can enjoy life and make money moves. You can pay off your debt. You can invest. You can, find a balance. And I think that's important for people to stay at like the long haul. At the end of the day, three and a half years is not that long of a debt payoff journey. It it was going to be more at the beginning. It was going to be like seven or eight when I first did the calculations, but you get better as you go. Right. And I, okay. We need nights like that. So can you talk to me, like, what do you, what does your life look like now? What does your job look like now? What is the budgeting, the income, the saving, the investing, what does it look like now? Uh, what is it? You said you started your journey like 2010, right? Yeah. Well, that's when I graduated college and right. I did a couple years just working for a newspaper. And then that other one that I got laid off from. So I was actually deferring my payments. Then my student mm-hmm. payments. when I graduated, I only had 27,000 in student debt. Oh. By the time I got around to paying it, I had 33 so nice. I was years out and it had just ballooned and I was terrified. So what my life, just, just a quick recap, uh, about seven years ago, $33,000 in debt, making $24,000 a year pre-tax, um, no savings, no investments, um, no stability or support whatsoever. Currently, you know, seven years later, rule to the future, um, 2022, I currently have a net worth of over $150,000. Thank you. Um, I made around $100,000 last year as well. Wow. Between my day job, which is a communications coordinator at Texas A&M University, where I make about 51. Um, They've been very kind to me over the years and have given me several raises. And I've turned my Budget Girl business, which is YouTube channel Budget Girl, budgetgirl.com, and the associated socials into about a $50,000 a year business. Huge. That's impressive. 
I no. also, I still save and invest about 40% of my income. Cause like I said, I'm used to living on very, very little, but I actually feel like I have money to do almost anything that I want. I, if I want something, I'll save up and do it. One of my main ventures, in addition to investing um, just in the regular stock market, um, BT Saxon Chill over here, mm-hmm. is I own a duplex. So I spent $230,000 on a duplex at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, it is now worth about 300000 And I rent out one side and it pays for the entire mortgage. And I make about $140 a month and have no personal housing costs. Are you, li- are you living in the other side of the duplex? Nice. Um, I also recently launched a short-term rental, which is actually a, go ahead. Oh, I was going to cough. Go for it. <laughs> I know it screws up the audio. It's fine. Keep going. <laughs> I also recently launched a short-term rental. I actually bought a vintage um, travel trailer off of Facebook Marketplace and spent mm-hmm. the last four months of 20. Uh, 21 renovating it and it is now a short-term stay called the ag wagon it's a texas slash texas a&m themed camper so like a little nice. unique stay and uh i've had i have like 10 guests uh so far and it's a five-star uh stay on airbnb congratulations that's really really awesome so is that the next avenue for you is just like doubling down on the real estate investments and trying to push forward with that I think real estate's really fun and I like all the pieces of it. Um, You know, lots of people love investments and stocks and I just, my eyes glaze over. So I just contribute to my, um, like I max out my Roth IRA now and, you know, contribute like $500 a month to uh, investments. And it's, I, I have a little bit in Robinhood and crypto and that kind of thing, but for the most part, it's just, automated and it's just building behind the scenes and I put all of my focus into real estate. So I'm looking for the next property, probably another duplex or maybe a little piece of land where I could build out more uh, short-term rentals. Uh, I would really, really love to do that. And I would love to get more unique stays like campers or geodesic domes or maybe a schoolie or a yurt or something here and just make it really, really fun. It sounds like, at least in the in the in terms of the short term rentals, you've got like almost a profitable passion project. Ooh, triple P profitable passion project that you're working yeah. on. Because like, if you were looking only for profit, you just you know buy a nice house and Airbnb it out. But you're actually going out and building unique experiences for people, which I think is a really cool way of approaching it. Because, like you said, you have all the money you need. And um, I, I mean, to me, it doesn't sound like you really necessarily want or need anymore. You know what I mean? Like you're living at whatever you want. I think there, were, there was a fantastic study that showed that like once you get past like it was like 70 or $80,000 a year or something yeah. like that, or it might have even been lower, like your level of happiness in life doesn't increase proportional to the amount of money that you have. It stays about the same. So it really just sounds to me like you're working on passion projects nonstop, which is really a really awesome way of approaching this idea of making money. You know, it's a, it's a fun place to be. And let me tell you one thing about these like little unique stays is that they're really accessible as far as um, how much the cost is. This right. camper cost me 15 grand total to purchase, renovate, stock with everything for Airbnb, 
and get up and running, right. which is a lot of money, but is not a lot of money in the real estate space. Like to purchase something that would, um, it, even if you're doing like an FHA at 3.5% down, I spent more than 15 grand to get this duplex, uh, and to make it make as much money as it has the potential to, it's insanely accessible right. to so, be able to do this, especially if you're willing to put in a lot of the work yourself, which is what I really enjoy. I enjoyed making this a really cute place to stay. How much do you rent it for per night or per whatever time period you work with? Right now it's at 99 a night and I um, will be able to rent it out for more during like game day weekends. We're really close to Texas A&M University where I work my day job and football season here is huge people and it's themed kind of with the university in Texas. So it's right. meant for people coming to the area to stay there. And I'll probably be able to charge about 250 a night on game days. And once again, I'm in this for 15 grand. So, so within a couple of years, it's all going to be profit. Not, not even a couple of years, like feasibly. So once again, I'm a master of math. So whipped out my phone calculator. Um, at even at the low end of 99 a month, 15,000 divided by 99 is like 151 days, 152, yeah, 150 nights or so. However, here's, here's the kicker. Um, I don't have land to put it on right now. My duplex doesn't have any land. So it's currently sitting at an RV park to the tune of about $480 a month. So the first mm. five stays every month is eaten up by expenses and anything beyond that is profit. Which However, I'm. I'm only at this park for six months. So hopefully at the end of the six months, I'll have some land to put it on. It'll involve a little bit more investing and in getting that set up, but then we should be profit city. And well, the, the thing is about investing in land and investing in building the camper is it's not just spending money. You know what I mean? It's an actual investment. Like once you pay off the 15,000, you're just breaking even, you know, you, yeah. you've, you've made a, you've made a return on your money of 15 grand, which is a hundred percent return. Like it's paying. It. So I'm not precisely I don't have any debt related to this. And it's, I just think it's a really cool thing that I never would have thought of when I was at the beginning of my journey that I could create something like that for such a low entry level. Right. Which is like super cool. Like that is so cool. Art, and you said that you want to get land and actually build out. You have ideas for other really unique stays. Yeah. yeah. I even have like the names of some of them uh, already like locked in and saved. <laughs> well, I'm hearing is that I might have to come and rent one of your your uh, your Airbnbs, Sarah. Come to Texas, come hang out. I'll, Eventually, I'll, I'm hoping to have a little like kind of glamp glamping site. So okay, okay. Here's the plan. Since I have some friends who are in Texas and in the adjacent states, I'll just take like a two week sabbatical or trip down to Texas, and like I'll spend a day or two in your Airbnbs. <laughs> Absolutely. Come on down. Boosh. There's the plan. No, that's yeah. actually really, really cool. Um, that's one of my favorite things about it too, is that I have a lot of friends from, you know, all over the United States, all over the world, really. And having this kind of extra place to stay that I can invite people to, to like, just, Hey, come see me. You can stay in this awesome thing that I built. We can maybe make some content while you're here or just hang out. It's, it's really, really neat. And I would love to have more of them. It's awesome. It's really, really awesome. So other than the very unique Airbnb strategy, which is, I, I think it's really interesting because you've almost approached it with a different strategy than most where you're creating a unique experience. 
is there's a couple of things that draw people to an Airbnb. Um, I know this from another guy that I had on the show. Um, and that's that you either you need, need a really unique location. You need, you need uh, proximity to a really cool thing, whatever that is. Like if you had an Airbnb near the Grand Canyon, yeah. you're covered. Although Grand Canyon is national parks, so that's not feasible. But, or you have a really unique like draw factor about the Airbnb itself, which yeah. you're, you obviously fit into that third category where the draw factor is that the Airbnb itself is part of the attraction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In addition to the fact that it's like you said, near a big football stadium, that's going to draw lots of people in. Like you'll have people come from out of state to see that, to see games and stuff. And that that's the draw factor. And then you have the unique factor of the Airbnb being its own experience, which and is like it's a, a vintage, it's a vintage camper. Everyone wants to try to live tiny. Exactly. Um, and I, I love that part about it too, is that it's everything all the comforts of a full house just into like a tiny little space and you can try it out if you want to like try minimalism for a weekend or something which i really love that i really love that so talk to me are you planning to do anything else in the real real estate investment space beyond just like the the airbnb unique like stays are you planning to buy more single family homes more duplexes triplexes whatever and build out your traditional investment portfolio or mainly focus on the airbnb unique stay thing I like duplexes. I really do, especially for a college town. Um, My duplex, the one that I have now is a three, two on each side. So that's really attractive for multiple college students or families. Um, It just has a lot of options. And I like that it's, I can create this really nice higher end space at a really good price level for people locally, because pricing is actually really competitive. And a lot of people in this area really charge college students out the wazoo, which I don't agree with. Right. Um, I have student interns who are paying like $600 a month and they're sharing with four or five other people in a house. And that's just, (laughs) I hate that. (laughs) So I would love to have some more affordable, nice rentals in the area Mm -hmm. that I could kind of serve that market. I also really like the kind of the short-term rental space. So I think I'll probably balance between those. I don't really have any interest in commercial or retail, anything Uh, like that. Though if I could get my hands on like a car wash or a storage unit, I'd probably, (laughs) I'd probably be. That's, that's cool. (laughs) I, you know, I've, I've had this idea in the back of my mind for a long time now that it'd be really cool to own a car wash. I don't know why that just sounds like a cool, like small, like it feels like a fun, small business, business that you could run out the side. It is messy. Um, You need to watch Brandon from Investment Joy. He's got a YouTube channel and some stuff, and he owns a lot of stuff like that out in like nowhere, Ohio. And he just shows you all the ins and out of it. I met him at last FinCon. Great guy. That's really, really awesome. I know we kind of talked about what the plans are moving forward, but there's a lot that's, at least from what I'm seeing, there's a lot happening in the financial space right now, at least in my little corner of the internet, which I have taken big interest in crypto. Um, So, you know, that's my corner of the internet <laughs> um but i've seen i i believe i mentioned this before we came out to the podcast that some people are predicting in the next few years that we see a mini recession because there's this fantastic thing called the debt cycle that every five to ten years the debt cycle resets and we go into a mini recession it's been pretty consistent across the last couple i lost across the last few decades unfortunate but it's a reality of finance that we have booms and busts so I'd love to hear you speak a little bit about that. And if there is to be a recession in the near future, how you would react. So I graduated during one of the mini recessions in 2010. 
Um, right. It was very hard to get a job, uh, especially for like any money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. I worked for almost nothing for many years because uh, everything kind of slowed down. Kind of like it feels like right now where people are fighting for higher wages, but it's not really happening and it's very hard to find a job. So for right. that, I cannot speak enough to people having at least a small emergency fund, and then multiple streams of income. I know it's easier said than done, but if you have one stream of income, like I did when I graduated, and that gets knocked out from under you, you got nothing. Suddenly you're in a hole. However, if you are able to build out a couple of streams of income, or you have, it gives you options. Have you heard of the table metaphor? I have not. Explain it to me. All right. So your, your life is a table, and you can be supported by one leg, mm-hmm. um, if that leg gets chopped out from under you, then mm. you're on the ground Sounds versus familiar. multiple. And then if one falls, you're still supported by your other streams of income. Right. So side hustles, investments, side businesses, build out those skills that you have, or those areas of interest that you have and figure out ways to make sure there's never just one table leg supporting your financial life, because that's how you very quickly can end up in debt in trouble, miserable. Whereas right now, if I lost my day job, I wouldn't be happy about it. I'd be fine. Right. Like it it would be a hit, but like you said, at your current savings rate of 40% of your income, that means that you could easily lose 40% of your income and be absolutely fine. Yeah. And like you said, your day job consists of probably about 50%, maybe even a little bit less of your yearly income. And if that were chopped out from under you, you'd be able to make it work. And you have that background of, you know, operating on a budget. So a tiny budget. Yeah. I could easily live on a lot less. And a lot of people like I'm fairly successful in the space now. I'm, I'm no master, but I have enough um, levity in the space that I could potentially go full-time for budgetgirl.com and budgetgirl, the YouTube channel and make that be my main support. I just Mm -hmm. don't really want to, because there are a lot of benefits to having a day job, um, including my health um, insurance and the retirement match and just kind of the stabilization that gives me options. So also the the history, the work history for purchasing more real estate property is always nice as well. Um, so it's, it's a lot, but if I were to lose one of those streams of income, if something were to happen, if there were a recession, if prices suddenly spike everything, everywhere and everything costs so much more, I have a lot more wiggle room and a lot more options, which is really, really nice from someone who's had that one table I've dropped right. out of before. So what I'm hearing is in the event that if you're in the position to do so, you should attempt to start building out multiple streams of income in multiple different industries. May I add, if you can build out multiple streams of income in multiple industries, then you're far more likely to do better, I guess, because if the tech industry takes a massive hit and collapses, that's not necessarily going to be true of real estate. Um, So build out multiple streams of income have it now before something bad happens because i think precisely you know trying to start a business when you don't have any money when your only source of income has dropped out from under you is going to be a lot harder than trying to build it when things are a little bit more fruitful and i i think that idea of just trying to start now is true even if there isn't a recession coming even if the economy goes up forever which it won't but if the economy goes up forever you should still try and start whatever passions you're working towards now. I think that was, I think that's like one of my, 
one of my biggest things that I've learned across the past year of like, you know, doing this podcasting stuff and working towards my passions is that just starting today or tomorrow, or at least next week is going to be better than never starting in the first place, you know? Or and it is starting until like after college, which is what I always thought about, you know, careers and working for a living. Right. When I was in high school and college, I was like, this is a thing that future Sarah needs to worry about when in reality, I could have been preparing for my future and giving my future self all of these options. Whereas now I have options where I could retire early if I suddenly hated my job or right. pivot in ways that the world now demands us to do. Mm-hmm. It is a new world now. You cannot just get a job after college and work at it until you die. And that'll support your family. It's a hard reality, but that usually isn't going to work. There was a report I read about how the average American switches jobs minimum every seven years. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised that's not more actually. I'm a millennial. We get charged with like millennials change jobs every two to three years. And it's like, yeah, because that's the only way we can get a pay raise. Precisely. And I think obviously you have to take into account that the that the older portion of the population isn't going to be switching around jobs as much or they're just straight retiring. But I, I thought the same thing, like not seven retiring. years. is, a, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or not retiring. Um, seven years is a long time. And but at the same time, it's not that long of a time to be jumping from job to job when you have a 40 or 50 year work career. Mm-hmm moving a job every seven years is like six jobs, seven jobs across the like course Course of your career. Yeah. And if, and if you're dropping that number down to every four years or shorter, that's 10 jobs. You know what I mean? And so uh, it's, it's just such an interesting reality that we live in. Um, And I think a lot of traditional financial advice is shifting quickly quite frankly. Like I, I think, I, like obviously fundamentals are always going to be there. Like you need to save and invest and you need to try and get a good job and you want to have an emergency fund, you want to, et cetera. But I think traditional financial advice that would have been given out for the past 50 years is going to be shifting slightly because world economies are, sh- are shifting. And I think the, the most interesting thing is how everything just seems to be moving faster. You know what I mean? Like the more digitized that everything gets, the faster everything seems to move. Like, especially in my lifetime, like how quickly things have changed even inside of my own life. You know what I mean? It's crazy to consider. And I think something that people need to take into account when they're trying to plan their investments, trying to plan their life in general is how quickly everything can change. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, especially in like your semi-adult life, things have a lot of monetary things have changed a lot with crypto NFTs. There's a oh, lot yeah. of like really bad advice on the internet. There are these new influencers who come out. And then a few years later, we find out that everything was supported by like bad loans. And I, I think it's a really tough time to be kind of entering this space. And sometimes you do need to, well, regardless, you need to be focusing on your basic foundation and making sure that you have enough money to cover your bills that you are bringing in money from multiple sources, which is not traditional advice, but is necessary to today's world, in my opinion, unless you're a trust fund kid. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, Having good awareness of your spending and then knowing kind of what is safe to invest in. So a lot of, I know a lot of young people are currently, you know, trying to 
you know, if you're your age, you can recover from this. But if all of your money is in crypto, then it goes to zero. NFT <laughs> and it goes to zero. It's like I'm done with this. Kind of like the Beanie Baby craze, uh, where people were putting their kids' college funds in these because they thought that they were going to be so expensive later on. So I I think developing a basic financial standing for investment for matching a 401k or whatever tax advantaged accounts you want to use. And then building from there is probably going to be, I, I think the smartest advice going forward. I, and I, I think to listeners who are my age, um, I think the biggest thing that you can do is to try and build out skills more than anything. Um, because there is nothing that makes you more marketable than having a wider range of skills that you can do. Like I plan to go to college for business and computer science, which between those two degrees, I plan to major in computer science, minor in business. And with the ability to code a computer and code applications, you're able, it really gives you a marketability that, you know, a normal worker doesn't necessarily have. And I think that's the key takeaway for me from a lot of the things that I see and I read is to build skills that are actually going to be applicable for you. I completely agree. I think skill building is incredibly important. And even if you are in some sort of niche, like I'm a writer, I took, I was a journalist for many years. Now I'm a writer for a university. You can take that core skill and then utilize it in different ways. But yeah, especially for younger viewers, if you have interests, build those out, work on them. Cause time to do that is, is right now. It's going to be a lot harder in the future to find the time to build out and really learn those skills, especially when you're just in the daily grind of work. 100%. So I know that we're kind of coming up towards our ending time here. So Sarah, before I cut this podcast off, before we finish out, is there anything else that you want to say to the audience? Any final wisdom, uh, tips, et cetera, that you'd like to give ways people can contact you before we finish out? Okay. Because we're speaking to mostly younger generation, I don't want to sound like an old fogey. First job, go ahead and get that 401k match. Any sort of retirement benefit that is offered. This is the stupidest thing that I did. My first job out of college, I didn't understand what any of it was. I completely miss that match. That would be tens of thousands of dollars now. Um, Don't take out more student loans than you need. Um, If you can avoid taking them out at all, that would be wonderful. But certainly don't take them out to buy clothing and Taco Bell. That will hurt you in many, many ways. Uh, (laughs) And finally, don't freak out. It's going to be okay. Just keep working on it, moving forward one day at a time. You're doing great. Clothing if you're ta- listening to this podcast, you're doing great. <laughs> Clothing and Taco Bell seems like a very uh, specific thing to <laughs> warn against. We Are we speaking from personal experience here, Sarah? Perhaps, perhaps. I ate a lot of Taco Bell on student loan money. Say. Um, costs a lot more when you have to pay it back seven years later. <laughs> All right, Sarah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really glad that we finally got to actually make this episode happen. Really exciting stuff. So thank you so much for coming on here. I'm glad we got to talk about fundamentals, got to talk about kind of your thoughts on where kids need to focus their, you know, their brain power, their focus, everything. So thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your night. Absolutely. Thank you. And your viewers can find me at budgetgirl.com where there is a slew of free resources, including a free budget. If you haven't started a budget yet and a whole guide on how to use that, as well as a whole bunch of other fun stuff. And you can check me out 
on youtube.com slash budget girl. If you want to see all of my Airbnb and real estate and money adventures. Huge. All right, Sarah, thank you so much. And I, we will see all of you guys in the next one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the teen financial freedom podcast. We would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone who needs it.